out with some outdoor education. From time to time, it's nice to be able to help out with some of the other conference events. Camp meetings coming up. I'll be leading out in the early teen tent. So lots of energy required for that one. It was exciting this week because at Wawona, there's a bear right now that's going around. Broke into the cafeteria uh, at least once during our time. Got into the peanut butter and the jelly and uh, some of the granola. It apparently preferred one variety of the cereal over the other. But every night, it seems like it kept coming back. Rangers would come by with rubber bullets to shoot at it, trying to scare it away. And uh, so they have some doors to repair, some strategy to adjust as they deal with this guy. But it's good to be back. It's good to be here. And I just want to start off with one more word of prayer as we get into God's Word. Dear Father, we're so thankful to be here. We're thankful for your love. And we're thankful as we think about our moms this weekend, the special women in our lives. And we're grateful to be here, to be born, to be alive. And uh, we just pray that you'll speak to us this now, this, this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I assume that you know what today is. Today, of course, is 271 days until the Winter Olympics start in South Korea. I know you're counting down the hours. It's 271 in about five hours by now. It's never too early to start getting ready and excited for the Olympics, at least some would say. You know, in my family, the Olympics were always something that we would watch. We watched the Summer Olympics, we watched the Winter Olympics. Even on uh, my honeymoon, we had the opportunity of watching a little bit of the Olympics. It's just fun to see. And one of the events that's interesting about the Olympics is something that builds up to opening ceremony, and that is the relay of the torch. Ancient Olympic Games didn't have this relay. They did have a flame there in ancient Greece, but it was in 1938, uh, or so that they started this relay because relay races are cool they're exciting to see the the baton pass from one person to the next but it's even cooler if the, t the baton is on fire and so the very first relay lasted about eight days long it wasn't an incredible distance the torch always starts from Greece in Olympia Greece where the ceremonial flame that first torch is lit and then a person starts to run. They run their distance, or they bike their distance. Or in the case of Australia, they had some scuba diving with a torch that worked underneath the water, and a scuba diver carried the torch for a distance. I've seen swimmers swimming with one arm, the other arm holding the torch high. The purpose of it, the purpose of it is to keep the fire going. Passing that flame, that special ceremonial, flame from one torch to the next. The longest relay was in 2008, the Beijing Olympics. The torch traveled around 85,000 miles. Some of that was by plane, but it involved over 22, almost 22,000 different people passing that flame from one person to the next. They even had a special torch. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if it had real flame or not, but one that went up into the space station at one point. 
So that torch has been all around this world, a symbol of the Olympic spirit, whatever that might be, going around the world. Probably some of you remember 1992, the Barcelona Olympics. I watched this clip on YouTube the other day, and this was where the guy comes running into the stadium with a torch, and eventually, as the music is coming to this grand and glorious moment, he gives it, he, he passes the flame, he lights the tip of an arrow, an archer is standing there, he's leaning back at about this angle, and he launches the torch, it goes flying up into the air, this flaming arrow, and it lands perfectly in the middle of this giant cauldron, and it bursts into flames. And I was thinking, man, I would have been nervous to be that guy. <laughs> you know, what if the wind was a little extra, or somehow he didn't pull it back far enough, or too far, and then this flaming arrow goes into the crowd. Dangerous, huh? Dangerous. Or what if you were running with a torch, coming into the stadium, and then you stumble, and then somehow the torch falls on the ground and gets extinguished. The flame dies out. I know it's just a symbol, but boy, that would be embarrassing. Having come thousands of miles, running, biking, swimming, hiking, flying, only to see the flame die out. Well, today, as we continue in our series in the book of Timothy, we find that the Apostle Paul realizes that his race is about over. He's come almost to the end of his journey on earth, and it's time for him to pass the torch to his young protege, Timothy. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We only have two more parts, today and next week, and we conclude our series in Timothy, but we have a, another great series coming up, which I'll tell you about next week. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, we find Paul kind of wrapping up his very last letter that he's written. As you recall, he's sitting there in the Mamertine dungeon, this dark pit there in Rome. He's chained up. He doesn't have good food, he doesn't have good sunlight, he doesn't have good water. He's there, reflecting on his life, distilling the most important things he can to pass along to Timothy. Because he knows, if the fire dies out with him, it would be a, a tragedy of the highest degree. The fire of the gospel must continue. And at this point in early Christianity, there weren't that many people spreading it. So Paul needs to have good people. He needs Timothy to take the torch and to carry it forward into the dark world. So we find 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. It's kind of an almost legal setting Paul is setting the stage like he's there in court. He has a charge to give to Timothy, and there are witnesses to this charge. The people who are witnessing, God, Jesus, the one who's going to judge the living and the dead, the one who will return, who will appear, I give you this charge. Verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word. Paul, of all the things he could say to Timothy, he's coming down to the end of it and he says, preach the word. 
spread that word. He didn't say preach what people want to hear. He didn't say preach popular psychology. He didn't say preach just to entertain. He didn't say preach all these other things. He said preach the word. That's what people need to hear. That's what our world needs to hear. It's the word. He said be prepared in season and out of season. There's really only two times to share the gospel. In season and out of season. So, all the time, right? You know, as Christians, we're always on call. As Christians, we're always on call. We shouldn't be of the mindset that, oh, it's Sabbath, I'm a Christian today, all right? Put the happy Sabbath smile on, come to church. Hey, brother, good to see you. We shouldn't just do that and then take off our Christianity when we take off our Sabbath suit when we get home. We're called to be Christians every single day. In our particular denomination, we're called to be Seventh-day Adventists. And that doesn't mean just Adventists on one day of the week. Every single day, we're supposed to represent our Lord, our Savior. Preach the Word. If it's out of season, that's the time to preach the Word. If it's in season, that's the time to preach the Word. Then Paul reminds Timothy what else is involved in that. He says, correct, rebuke, and encourage. We saw last week in uh, chapter 3, verse 16, uh, that these are some of the functions of Scripture. Now, some of us get excited when we see that word rebuke. We're like, all right, (laughs) I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to point out all those errors, and I'm going to give it to them. But notice the next phrase, because that qualifies how this is meant to be done. Because all of us need correction. All of us need that reproof, that encouragement from the Word, whether it comes from our own reading, or from a sermon, or from a Bible study. But notice that last phrase of chapter 4, verse 2. It says, with great patience and careful instruction in my Bible. If you're reading from uh, the New King James it may say something more like long-suffering and teaching. So that means we're supposed to be patient with people. When we share the word, it's supposed to be done patiently, gently, teaching them, instructing them. Parents, this applies to parents also as they teach their children, as they teach the word to their children. Teachers, myself as a pastor, all of us, we're all called to share the word, but we're called to do it with patience, careful instruction. Notice one of the reasons Paul gives for preaching the word. It's in verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. The world needs the word of God, the pure word of God, because there are times coming when people will just depart. They will stray away from the clear teaching of Scripture. Instead, it says, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. No, 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 Pastor, don't tell us about those things. Just tell me things that will make me feel good about myself. That's what I want to hear. Tell me I'm going to be rich, I'm going to be wealthy, and everything is going to be perfect in my life. Pastor, that's what I want to hear. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, 
Let's preach the word. Last week, we saw again, Paul said, we got to be honest, the Christian life has its ups and it has its downs. But praise God, the Christian life has Jesus. And that's why we go on this path. You know, a lot of times today, I'm recognizing this in our own particular denomination, that people are getting into all these conspiracy theories. And it's like people get more excited about a conspiracy than they do about Jesus. If your ears are more interested in hearing about the Illuminati or some secret society than your ears are interested in hearing about Jesus, then you have itching ears, Paul would say. If you're more interested in sending emails about secret meetings that the Pope is supposedly having and all these things going on, if you're more interested in that than the teachings of Jesus, I'm afraid we're probably getting off track. You see, at the end of the day, The Bible says that Jesus will judge the living and the dead. And the big question is not what side of these conspiracies did you fall on. The big question is, did you say yes to me? That's what Jesus will ask us. Did you accept my sacrifice? Did you accept my life in your life? Be careful about all these things going around. Flatlander stuff is coming up again these days. It's pulling people away. Preach the word, Timothy says. Preach the word. Verse 4, they will turn away their ears from the truth and turn them aside to myths. But you, verse 5, keep your head in all situations. Don't let these things scare you, Timothy. Don't, don't get too nervous. Expect these things to happen, but keep your head. Keep yourself together. It's going to happen. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge your duties of your ministry. Basically, if I was to summarize verse 5, he's saying to Timothy, do your job. Do your job. Some of you might recognize that phrase. It's a phrase that, that is preached and taught in New England by Bill Belichick, New England Patriots. And as much as it pains me, and I realize every time he gets another Super Bowl trophy, I realize how much I need the Lord in my life to change me and to make me more like him because I'm not wishing him to have that. He has enough. Let's give it to someone else now. But something that, that they're good at, you've got to respect him as a coach because he has coached that team up so well. And one of the things he tells the players is do your job. Just do your job. Get it right. When Malcolm Butler intercepted that p- pass on the one-yard line, Russell Wilson threw, oh. all that Malcolm Butler was doing was doing his job. He got his job done. The game was won. And many hearts were broken. But Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, do your job. Here's what your job is. Your job is to preach the word. Your job is to spread the word. Do the work of an evangelist. Endure hardship. Fulfill your duties as a minister. That's what you're called to do. Do your job. A second reason 
for preaching the word. Number one reason was there's going to be all sorts of heresy, all sorts of false teachings, all sorts of things leading people astray. But Paul turns it back in verse 6 to a second reason. The big idea in verses 6 through 8 is Paul is about to die. If there was ever a reason why Timothy needed to step it up and to do his job, it was because Paul wasn't going to be around any longer. Maybe some of you had your dad say to you something like this, well, son, well, daughter, it's going to come a time when I'm not around any longer. And there are some things that you're going to need to know. There are some things that you're going to need to do. Maybe some of you have had that experience with your father passing away early. But this is kind of like the Apostle Paul saying to Timothy, Timothy, I'm not going to be around much longer, so I'm going to need you to take the torch. I'm going to need you to spread the word. All throughout this letter, Paul has been encouraging Timothy to do these things. We saw in 2 Timothy 1.8, he said, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. In 1.13, he said, Hold fast to the pattern of my words. In 2.2, he said, The things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit to faithful men. Disciple other people, Timothy. In 2.15, Paul said to Timothy, Rightly divide the word of truth. Make sure you're accurately teaching it and applying it. In 2.24, Paul said to Timothy, a servant of the Lord must be able to teach. Teach the word, Timothy. And in 3.16, Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so again, he says, preach the word. And we get to verse 6. Here's the second reason. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Paul is drawing upon this practice that we get from Leviticus where there were not only grain offerings and animal offerings, sometimes people would come to the temple, they'd come from a long distance or a short distance, and they would pour out either wine or oil or water onto the ground as an offering to the Lord. Remember that story where David said, oh, I wish I could have a drink from the well, the specific well, and some of his men broke through the enemy camp got to the well, they brought the, the water back, and when David had this water in his hand, he realized that it cost the lives, of, it potentially could have cost the lives of his men, and so he didn't even drink it, he just poured it out as an offering to the Lord. Paul is saying, my life is, is about ready to be poured out, my blood is about to be spilled onto the ground. My time of departure is at hand. Verse 7, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. If your life were to end in the near future, would you be able to say these words? I've fought a good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Would that be written on your headstone were you to pass away? Every day we have a choice. How am I going to run this race of life? How am I going to live as a Christian? Am I going to carry the torch of faith in my heart and in my life today? Am I going to fight the Christian fight? Not with fists, but fighting against the forces of evil. Standing up for what's right. Spreading the gospel. Spreading the truth of Jesus. Paul looked back. He didn't say, I won the race. He said, I finished the race. I stayed on course. 
I, t- I carried that torch, and now here I am, about ready to die. Verse 8, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Here he's pointing back to the, to the laurel wreaths that they would use in the Greek games. The winner wouldn't receive a gold medal, a silver, or a bronze medal. They got a piece of vegetation that was made into a circle, twisted around a little bit, and placed on their head. That was what they received. That's what they competed for. And the, and the fame and the, the, the praise that went along with it. Paul says, I'm going to get one of those. But notice when he says he's going to get it. It's not right at his death. Paul teaches clearly about the resurrection. He says, the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, a reference that he makes to the great day, the return of Jesus, the resur- where the resurrection of the righteous happens. And the cool thing is, in this race, he says, it's not just I who can get one. Anybody can receive that crown of victory. Anybody can have that in their lives. He says, to all who have longed for his appearing. Are you longing for the appearing of Jesus? When you think about the return of Jesus, are you excited about it? Do you want to see Jesus? Or are you thinking, oh, there's so many things I want to do. I want to get married. I want to, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do all this other stuff. If you're thinking that, maybe it's because we don't really understand what the return of Jesus means. Maybe it's because we don't understand truly how wonderful heaven's going to be. No matter how great you can imagine experience here on this world, it's going to be so much better. So much better. The Bible says, neither eye has seen nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man. You can't even imagine how wonderful the things that God has prepared for us. Are you longing for the return and the appearing of Jesus? Paul says, preach the word. Why? Because people need to have this to correct them from the errors of false teachers. And number two, I'm not going to be around. And if, I don't, and if you don't preach the word, who will preach the word? The story's been told about an Arctic expedition trying to reach the North Pole. The plan was pretty simple. Take a steamship powered by coal. Coal fire generating steam, giving them energy to sail north, get as far north as they could, and then they would hop off onto the ice, travel either by skis or by sled dogs or by foot to the magnetic North Pole. Plan was pretty simple, but like many other failed attempts, uh, they hadn't planned on things going wrong. They hadn't planned on their ship running low on coal. It's a very scary situation to find yourself in. Miles and miles and miles, thousands, hundreds of miles from civilization, stuck up there in the great north realizing you may not have enough coal, you may not have enough fuel to get you back home. 
didn't have GPS, didn't have cell phones, didn't have satellite phones in those days, of course. So perhaps in their mind, they're even thinking, you know what? If we don't make it out of this, nobody will ever know what happened to us. Probably our ship will get locked into the ice. Probably we'll run out of food, die of starvation, die of the cold, die of the exposure. When the spring thaws come, our bodies, our ship, will sink to the bottom of this ocean and nobody will ever know what happened to us. So they knew something had to be done. Somehow they had to keep that fire going. Somehow they had to keep powering that steam engine. They had to make a U-turn. They had to abort the mission to get to the North Pole and now they just had to make it out alive. But what do you burn when you don't have coal? You don't have sufficient coal to burn. You burn anything that, that will burn. They were able to catch some seals, catch some walruses. That fat will burn. They threw the fat into the fire to keep the fire going. Little bits of rope. Threw it in the fire to keep that fire going. They realized, you know what? We have more planks on the deck of this ship than we really need. We can pry up some of the planks. We can take apart our bed frames. We don't need all these things. The most important thing is to keep the fire alive, keep the fire going. we got to make it home. They even took the piano that had gone along on the expedition. Sorry, Joel. Took that piano, their source of entertainment, their source of music. They said, you know what? If we die, this won't matter to us at all. Chopped up the piano, threw it in the flames to keep the fire going. Their sacrifice resulted in their salvation. When it came down to it, they realized, above all things, we have to keep the fire going. The Apostle Paul realized the same thing. The only thing that really matters in this world is keeping the flame of faith alive in this world. Keeping the fire going. Paul's not around to preach anymore. Timothy, he's long dead and gone. The torch has been extended to me and you. What will you do with the flame? What will you do with the sacred fire? What will you do with the word entrusted to you and to me? We're not all called to preach and stand here, but all of us are called to preach in our own way. We all have different talents. We all have different abilities. God calls upon each of us to use our gifts to carry the torch, to spread it to the world, to people who are dying in darkness so that they might know and long for Christ's appearing also. So what will you do? When I get to heaven, I want to go up to the Apostle Paul, and I want to thank him. If he hadn't have been willing to carry that flame, if Timothy hadn't have been willing to carry that flame, maybe none of us and others, uh, Paul's associates, the disciples, the apostles, maybe none of us would have known about our Savior. But because they did, we can. 
Who's out there in your neighborhood who needs to know? Who's waiting for the torch to come to them in your workplace? Who needs to know? Jesus wants to use you. Dear Heavenly Father, here we are, the beneficiaries of 2,000 years of missionaries, people who have spread the gospel to their friends, to their family, to their neighbors, to complete strangers, launching off on mission experiences to spread the word, to preach the word, to live the word. And so here we are, Father, with a choice day by day. What will we do with the word? I pray in our own hearts we will recommit ourselves just now, today, to take that torch of faith and to commit to sharing it with others. Give us special opportunities to do it, Lord. Take us out of the areas that we're comfortable. Use us for you in ways that we wouldn't have imagined possible except through the power of your Holy Spirit. May there be many more souls in the kingdom because of what you do in and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>